welcome to Creekside Church. You guys can take a seat. Uh, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, one follow-up from last week that we we're excited to share is that uh, we did get enough hosts for the African Children's Choir to come and visit us on June uh, 18th, so we're really excited about that, and thank you to those that volunteered to help out in that way. Uh, today we're going to have a, a special guest. Uh, Steve Smith is with us, pastoral candidate here at Creekside Church, and uh, Bob is going to introduce him in just a second, so I'll, I won't try to steal much of his uh, thunder. You know, this is Memorial Day weekend, and you know, we're, we're thankful to all those who, who have served, and especially to those who have, who have passed away and, and given their lives for our country. And uh, really, a, just a, a special weekend to remember that sacrifice, and uh, we're, we're, our hearts are very grateful for those who have served our country in that way. Um, also, hopefully everyone has heard or has uh, ascertained by the tables back there that we will be having a potluck lunch afterwards. If you didn't bring something to share, don't worry about it. There's going to be plenty of food. There's going to be a lot of food. And along with that potluck lunch, we're going to have a chance to hear from Steve and uh, just to share a little about himself and to ask some questions. So the offering is going to come around during this next song. Uh, let's just bow our heads and pray and thank God for the morning. Father, as we give back to you, we confess that everything we have is yours. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. May we honor you and glorify your name this morning. It's in Jesus' name we I don't know that I have a whole lot of thunder to be stolen, but I am privileged to introduce our guest this morning, Steve Smith. Uh, a few months back, uh, through a mutual acquaintance, we became aware of him, and he became aware of us. Um, and after some phone interviews and some meetings in person with the elders and deacons, we uh, felt like there was alignment between Steve and ourselves and his love for the Word of God and for people and desire to to serve in that way, and he is currently serving in Albert City, Iowa, at the, as senior pastor of the Evangelical Free Church there. Um, I've got a brief resume up there, and I have to apologize. I did stalk you on Facebook to find this picture, so <laughs> be careful what you put, kids. Be careful what you put on Facebook. Very good picture, but uh, Steve is a husband to Marla and a father to Tyler and Grace, his daughter-in-law, and Janae and Shara. So they're here with him this morning, too. Uh, he preaches weekly, guides uh, men's discipleship group, uh, leads midweek Bible study prayer time, teaches Bible instruction to junior high students, which I think gets you an extra, extra star in your crown, I think. <clears throat> he officiates weddings, funerals, baptisms, and takes part in community services, um, visitation, and providing counseling in a variety of situations. As far as his formal education. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Science, um, pre-optometry, pre if I can even say these things, but <laughs> pre-optometry um, and economics from the University of Northern Iowa. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a few UNI fans here maybe, so they finally get their day. Um, 
<laughs> he has a Master's of Arts in Biblical Counseling from Grace Theological Seminary, where he also has a Master's of Divinity. So we're happy to have Steve here with us this morning and to hear him as he brings the word. Thank you, Steve. There, is that better? Okay. So everything I just said is probably not worth hearing. Okay. <laughs> I invite you to uh, bow with me as we pray. Father, uh, we come this morning needy people because we are the poor and the powerless who come and uh, cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. As we open your word, we pray that your spirit would speak to us. Inform our lack of understanding and where we are misguided, we pray you would redirect us. Where we are ignorant, we pray you would inform us. And where we are lacking in zeal, that you would enthuse us. Where we are failing that you would encourage us and always that we would know your mercy and grace. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds and our souls. We pray that your word would speak powerfully and transform as only it can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Carol Arneson was a World War II hero. Carol fought in many battles, he fought in the Battle of Okinawa, and years later, after he was home, he died a decorated war hero. When Carroll's unit of 36 men was pinned down, his tank unit was pinned down, or his unit was pinned down by a tank unit, he decided that the only way he could survive was he was to crawl on his belly through a rice field to get help. He climbed, he crawled under enemy fire uh, the, about a mile on his belly and then finally climbed up the hill where his commanders and everybody was sitting around drinking coffee and thinking this was a fun time. And he said, we need some help down there. Carol was one of only two men in his unit that survived. Later, he was setting, tri or setting trip wires along a, a trail and a snake bit him. He woke up three weeks later after being in a coma for three weeks. The next time he was injured in battle, he refused to go to the army hospital because he was tired of, quote-unquote, collecting purple hearts. Carol Arneson and those who have served alongside him and with him in the battles for the United States of America as our soldiers are men who are worthy of our honor. And this weekend, we honor them. But there's only one man who ever walked the face of this earth that is worthy of our worship, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And on the heels of feeding the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus goes on to do something else that is rather miraculous. And His miraculous activity in the story in Matthew 14, which we affectionately know as Jesus walking on the water, is a story in which there are several manifestations of His personal involvement in our lives. 
that make him worthy of worship. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. I originally thought we'd get through verse 36. We're just going to try to get through verse 33. Hopefully we can get that far. But this morning I want to read the text and then invite you to consider with me a few of these powerful demonstrations, demonstrations of his powerful involvement in our lives that make him worthy of our worship. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22, and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he went, sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone, but the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came forward toward Jesus. But seeing the wind he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. The first demonstration of Jesus' powerful involvement is that He cares for us. You see on the screen, He cares for us. And there's two facts to consider. First of all, we see His care in the fact that the Lord is conscious of our condition. In verses 22 through 24, He immediately sent them away. Jesus was aware that the multitudes were trying to make Him king. So He sent the disciples away in the boat, and then He sent the multitudes away finally to get some peace and quiet, but to go up and pray. Now, what it doesn't say in our text, but it says in the parallel text in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, is that Jesus saw them. He was aware of them. He could see them from where he was perched praying in private. Now, what we see in verses 24 and 25 is that they were rowing. They did what Jesus said. He went up to pray, but in verse 24, but the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves and the wind, and it was contrary to him. Now, I haven't really been rowing against the wind, but I've been riding my bicycle against the wind, and when you're going against the wind, it's rough going, it's tough, it's hard. I'd rather ride with the wind, I'd rather row with the wind, you know, that's why they have sailboats, they sail with the wind. They actually can sail into the wind too, did you know that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, but I've been on a boat. But anyhow, that's a side issue. You, you ride in it, it's tough. You're straining at the oars. These guys were in a tough spot. It's physically exhausting. It's mentally disheartening when you're going uphill. Some of you are probably runners, you know. That's why they, the marathon, you know, at the end of the marathon, they have that, what, mile 23. Okay, yeah, we've got a little hill going here. I have a marathon between Storm Lake and Marathon, Iowa. There's no big hill there, so it's, it's easier, all right? You can do that. The boat was many stadia away. In John chapter 6, it tells us it was like three to four miles away. So they were losing ground. I mean, they're supposed to be gaining ground, but they're losing ground against the wind. And the point that I think Jesus is making here, or I want to, I think this is being made, is the obedience in the midst of the battle. 
And you know what? They were doing what God says. You ever do what God says and it's not easy? Obedience is hardly ever easy. We think it should be, right? God told me to do this. So if God wants me to do it, then it should be something that's easy to do. No. Here we see obedience was difficult, and it's not always easy. I think of my friends, uh, Zoli and Helga Don. They have served for, I think, 13 or 14 years in a, a town, a 900-year-old town in southern Hungary. A 900-year-old town in southern Hungary where they're the only gospel witness in the town, and they have seen hardly anybody come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that they're faithful. And they serve, and they get up, and they go out, and they pray, and they reach people, and they do evangelistic English language camps, and they try to share the gospel with people and show them through their lives. They're straining at the oars of ministry in a very dark place. And I think, you know what? Maybe that's you this morning. You're straining at the oars of ministry. You're being obedient. You're just doing what God has asked you to do, but it's tough, and it's hard. He knows it's hard. You're having trouble. Your faith is opposed at work. Maybe you're in a school or you're in a situation with your peers and you, it's difficult to share your faith. It's difficult to stand up for Jesus. It's hard. It's hard in the ministry of the church here. Some of you are laboring long and hard and you're doing difficult work and you've been doing it for a long time and you say, Lord, I'm rowing against the oars and I wish it was, would stop the wind. I just think from this text, God knows. He sees, he understands, he has compassion on what, are, what, are, what we're going through. Our Lord is not ignorant of nor indifferent to the battles we face, the struggles that we face. He's not ignorant of or obedient. And here it is. What's the song? You know the song. Trust and obey. Now, I would take issue with the songwriter here, and you can shoot me if you want. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy. Uh-uh, uh-uh. To be joyful in Jesus. Happiness is dependent upon happenstance. Joy is dependent on the joy giver. Jesus. I can be joyful in the midst of difficulty. I cannot be happy in the midst of difficulty. What does Paul, what does James say? Count it all joy when you fall into what? Various trials. Okay. Okay, that's the deal. So then we see, not only is the Lord conscious of it, but the Lord is compassionate. And it says in verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. What did you wait so long for? I mean, about nine hours later, Jesus shows up. Thanks, Lord. Uh, no, what, what's, what's the deal? He, but here it is. He came at just the right time. With tangible evidence of his concern and his care, he's there. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Evidence of his presence. He often realizes that we need to be brought to the extremity of our neediness to understand how much we need him. As if things are going real well. Yeah, we can say all we need is Jesus, but it's not until all we need is Jesus that that's all we need is Jesus sometimes. He knows our human nature, but he came and he was concerned. He's our rock and our fortress, the psalmist says in Psalm 18, verse 2. I think of the story about George Mueller. George Mueller ran a, an orphanage. He had 300 kids that were hungry one morning and they didn't have any food. So what did George Mueller do? 
what George Mueller does best. He prayed. And he says, Lord, we need some food. Kids, sit down at the tables. I'm praying for food. And he prayed for food. Knock on the door. Man shows up. He says, yeah, uh, I don't know why, but uh, the Lord, I'm a baker in town, and we have all this extra bread, and I, I, I wondered if you needed any bread. A few minutes later, knock on the door. Oh, yeah, hi, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm driving this milk wagon, and the wheel fell off the milk wagon. I got all this milk in here. It's going to spoil if we don't have somebody. Would you be able to use the milk? Just the right time. God showed up. Now, I'm not saying that God always shows up in that kind of a way. But he always shows up. He, he's there. He cares about what's going on. He's compassionate to our situation. The Lord knows and he cares. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Psalm 34, verse 15. Next, the next involvement that we see is our Lord controls our world. He comes to them and what's he doing? Walking on the sea. He's not flyboarding. You know what flyboarding is? It's this thing you attach to a, uh, to a jet ski, and it pumps air into the jet ski, and then you stand on this board, and you can go up on the water. i got a friend of mine that does this all over. He, he sells them. He did it, does it in Jamaica, and he goes all over the place. He proposed to his wife on a flyboard at two stories above the ground as she was standing on the balcony of the hotel room. Now, that's pretty cool. Flyboard. No, Jesus is walking on the water in the midst of the storm. You know, this is not some of you have seen, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but he's, he plays God, you know, and he's walking out on the water. No, this is not, there's not a glass there. There's not water on top of a glass. Jesus is walking on the water. The supernatural act is remarkable. And Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us that Jesus is, that all things are created by him and for him and they exist for him. He is not subject to his creation. His creation is subject to him. In the remembrance service this morning, we had one of the brothers read from Hebrews chapter 2. He's not subject to anybody. All are subject to him. And he comes to them. Slide it. We want to see Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. Uh, it says, in these last days God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. All things are made by him and for him, and they exist for him. Stephen Jobs is the one who gets the credit, not Apple products. You don't worship Apple products. He doesn't, he's not worthy of anything. The products aren't. It's the man who gets the credit. Human beings have hardly any control over our circumstances, over our situation, over creation. I want to show you a picture of Mount Hood. Back in uh, 1980, uh, there was an eruption, okay? And, or I'm sorry, Mount St. Helens, not Mount Hood. Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980. And here's the statistics. Sent one billion cubic feet of debris crashing into a lake that created a tsunami. 900 feet high. That's two zeros, not one. 900 feet high. That laid down stratified rock layers in one afternoon. Stuff that our geologists tell us takes millions and millions and millions of years to lay down. One afternoon, in three hours, there, were a th there was a 300 foot high 
stratified rock layer laid down. God's in charge. Jesus comes walking on the water. He is in control. Our, our Lord is the one who understands. He cares about us. He controls our world. And thirdly, He, see, he comforts us. Mark 6.50 tells us that they all saw Him, but they didn't recognize Him. Remember the story? What did they say when they saw Jesus? They were freaked out, right? And what did they say? It's a ghost. I don't know. Had they seen ghosts before? I don't think so. But they thought Jesus was a ghost. And Jesus, these are grown men, folks. Most of them fishermen. It's not like they haven't been on the water before. Not like they haven't been in a storm before. They were freaked out. You know what? I would be too. I mean, just put yourself in that situation. You're, 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 you're surviving, basically, this little boat, and, and you're going, and there's somebody standing out there. And they cried out, it says. They cried out. He says to them, immediately, he spoke to them to calm their fears. And I don't know what fear you have. I don't know what's scaring you, what struggle you have, what hardship you're going through, but the voice of the Lord is there. Take courage. It's me. It's me. Several years ago, uh, I took Marla and I took our two oldest on a mission trip, and we were going to be gone for about two weeks. And so we, we left Shara at home, and I had taken a, a voice recorder, and I read a few stories and had it taped on this recording because I knew we were going to be gone. So that when every night when my mom went to put her to bed, that she could listen to a story. Because when I was home, I would read her Bible stories and read her stories at night. And so then she would be able to take courage because she heard her father's voice. Jesus comes to his disciples and they hear his voice comforting them. Do not be afraid is the message of Jesus to all of his followers. Take courage. It's I. Do not be afraid. Some of you haven't lived long enough to know that life is hard. You will, Lord willing. But life is hard. And life is difficult. And life is painful. And it's frightening. And it's discouraging sometimes in our personal lives and in our ministry. And I know you and this church know that in both cases, in your personal lives and in your ministry, life has been hard. The Lord says, take courage. Do not be afraid. It's I. Do not be afraid. You know, when you're, you're, you're ch God's children don't need to fear. Whatever the storm is that comes, whatever the one that assails us, Jesus has promised us, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I know some of you are thinking, man, I don't know, he's been gone for a long time, but remember he left them for nine hours rowing in the middle of the, 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 the sea. I think of a young couple in our church. She grew up, she didn't even want to go to camp because there were bugs in the tent. She and her husband left for Africa. Lived an hour and a half from civilization out in the bush and she was pregnant with their first child. She went into labor prematurely. She lost her first baby because there were no medical emergency services. Nobody could get to her in time. I'm not sure that they would have helped anyway, but she stayed there for an hour and a half before anybody could get there to help. And she would stand here to tell you today that God met her there. Didn't make it, the pain go away. Didn't make it easy. 
but she knew that the Lord was with her. He comforted her. He met her in that self. Folks, your parents, some of you parents, you're having struggles with your kids. Some of you kids are knuckleheads, you know. Let's just wake up, you know. But some of you parents are knuckleheads too. And so you're, it's painful, and it's hard. It's hard to direct your kids into the love of Christ. It's a painful time. You need God's comfort. Graduates, some of you graduated. You're headed out to the scary world. You don't know what the world holds. You need God's comfort. Some of us are suffering from sickness or illness or mourning a death or struggling in our job. Maybe we need to change vocation. We don't know what's going on. God says, Jesus says, don't be afraid. There's no storm that you and I go through that first does not pass through the Father's hands and then through our Savior's hands before it gets to you and me. The Reformers used to call him his divine, uh, his um, providential uh, difficulties, divine mercies, severe mercies, they called them. Severe, but it's mercy. It's a difficult thing. Next, uh, number, the fourth thing I want you to see from the text is that our Lord champions our faith. And I find it interesting here because Peter has two responses. There's two re- Peter's two responses to Jesus' uh, reassurance instruct us how, how God really champions our faith, how he supports us in our faith. First of all, you see that he reinforces our courage. Down in verse 28, you see Peter. Now, Peter in the Bible is like, always sticking his foot in his mouth. And, and I didn't get that. That's not original with me. I heard some preacher say, oh, that's really great. Every time you find Peter, he's sticking his foot in his mouth, and then he's pulling it out. He, oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then what, what does he do? Denies the Lord. You know. Oh, I'll go with you even to death. No, nope, he's running saying he doesn't know Jesus. Every time. So here he is, sticking his foot in his mouth. You think, but no. Here, he reinforces our courage. Lord, if it is you, this time Peter, I think, is saying, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on water. I don't think the if is Peter's doubt. I think it's his desire. Lord, if that's you, command me and and I'll come to you. Peter wants to be with Jesus. He understands. He didn't just impetuously jump out of the boat and say, hey, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And Jesus didn't tell Peter to get out of the boat, did he? Peter says, if it's you. No, Peter's telling his desire and his confidence in the Lord's ability to care for him. Where Peter knows that it's safer outside the boat with Jesus than it is in the boat without him. And I wonder, you know, the Lord calls us to do things. It's better to be with Jesus wherever he's calling us to be than it is to be elsewhere where he's not calling us to be. I don't know if you know the name of Howard Hendricks, but he was called the prof at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a great and godly man, recently passed away, and he was a man who had a stuttering problem. But he felt that God was calling him to be a teacher in a seminary. He followed God's lead. I never heard the man stutter in my life. I've heard him speak on a number of occasions because God gave him the ability to do what God called him to do. God champions our faith when we step out and do what God wants us to do. Do I trust the Lord enough to do whatever he wants? Do you trust God enough to do whatever he wants? 
The Lord's encouragement of, uh, of faith is given by the expression. One word, come. Come. Verse 29. Look at the verse. It says, and he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking towards him. Peter knew that's the best place to be. Too many believers are, of us are unwilling to trust that outside the boat with Jesus is safer than in the boat we make. Uh, I'll stay where I'm at. Really. Too many of us are unwilling to get out of the boat and leave our safe place. Some of you are unwilling to get out of the boat and leave your safe place. Yeah, I've worked with junior high students. Is that an easy thing to do? No, but they have to put up with me too, so it goes both ways. Some of you are afraid to work with junior high students. Get out of your boat. Some of you are afraid to reach across the aisle and meet your, your, the neighbor. Some of you are afraid to interact with someone here, maybe a newcomer. Some of us are afraid to talk to our neighbors about Jesus. Some of us are afraid to stand up in our school and say, I'm a Christian and I'm not afraid to be a Christian. Some of us are afraid to bring our Bible to our workplace and read it during the break because somebody may make fun of us. Some of us are afraid. God calls us to do what he wants us to do. Are we afraid? Yeah, we can be afraid. I think Peter was probably freaked out, so he, but he got out of the boat. Some of you are afraid to serve in the nursery. Ooh. Which end do you work with? You know? Um, changing diapers? You know? I changed my own kids' diapers. I'm not sure I'm into changing other kids' diapers. Wednesday nights. You got stuff going on on Wednesday nights. I bet you if you came up to whoever's in charge of hospitality and you said, I'll help bring some food, I'll help make some meals, I'll help watch some kids, I'll help do some stuff, I'll drag some kids over here from my neighborhood, and if they'd go, whoa, really? Maybe a step of faith for you, but it may be just exactly what God wants you to do, to get out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. Interesting. God rewards our courage, but he also rebukes our cowardice. Because, you see, seeing the wind, Peter became afraid. So you say, okay, I'm going to volunteer to bring some kids on Wednesday night, or I'm going to volunteer to help out with some food on Wednesday nights. And then you show up, or, and, and, and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm fixing this food, and what if it flops? I'm afraid it might flop. I'm afraid. You step out of the boat, and you start doing the thing, and then, whoa, you don't have a control over what happens. Seeing the wind, he became afraid. When our love for and our faith in God moves us out, I'm going to tell you, folks, there'll be doubts. And, and they'll come. And they'll come. Why did Peter begin to sink? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He started looking at the wind and the waves. And he took his eyes off of Jesus. I'm saying that's what we got to be afraid of, not, not, not be afraid of. That We can't keep our focus on other things. We keep it on Jesus. I think about Deb. Deb was a, a, a rather heavyset gal. She went on a mission trip with us, and we had to climb up these, these steps, and we'd been 15 hours in flight and, and traveling, and we were hot and thirsty. And She came up in this hot, humid room, and she just plopped on the couch, and she was sweating and sweating and sweating, and she just kept repeating. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. She hadn't been focused on Jesus. I'm convinced she probably would have never gone on a mission trip before, but she kept her eyes fixed on Jesus. If we focus only on our circumstances, we're going to sink. When our faith falters, that's when we sink. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. And, and yet, 
Jesus, he, he kind of comes and he, he rebukes him in a gentle way. He says, he rescues us and then he rebukes the faltering. Notice what he says in verse 31 at the end of the verse. Verse 31, I'll read the whole verse. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. That's how he's rescuing Peter. And took hold of him and said, then he said, he rebukes him. He says, oh, you have little faith. Now, MacArthur, John MacArthur says it this way. He says, let's not be too hard on Peter. Peter's weak faith was better than no faith. Right? So we may get out of the boat. We may struggle. Lord, help me. But isn't that better than not getting out of the boat? Of course it is. The Lord champions our faith. Calls us to deepen it. To, to, to step out. Are there people that you and I need to talk to about Jesus? Are there ministries that we could get involved in to, to help carry the load in this local body? Instead of just kind of showing up and saying, yeah, well, well coffee's not so good. I don't know. I wish they had some different kind of food to eat. Get in the game. Step out of the boat. It'll be freak you out a little bit, but you know, God says better a little faith than no faith, and I'll help you along with it. He champions our faith in our fear and our anxiety. It dampens us. I pray, I pray that I would be as merciful towards other people who fail me, who are faulty, as Jesus was to Peter. You know, sometimes I'm not very merciful. I'm getting the game, get it, get your act together. Oh, wait a second. How is God's mercy towards me? And fifthly, I want you to see this, that the Lord calms the storm. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, folks, this is where the whole passage is bringing us to the crescendo. This is the climax. This is the, as one guy told it's the pointy part of the passage. Okay, this is the prickly part. The storm stopped. Why did the storm stop? Look at the text. Don't look at me. Look at the text. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, that's Peter and Jesus, the wind stopped. How did it stop? Now, I know in another parallel passage it says, Jesus said, stop. Okay? The point is that it stopped instantaneously. You ever been on the water when the wind's blowing? And then the wind stops? How long does the water keep churning? The wind just stopped. These people are really freaked out now. They were more afraid with Jesus in the boat than they were with Jesus out of the boat. They said, truly, you are God's son. This is deity in our presence because these fishermen know that the wind doesn't just stop and the waves don't just stop. Jesus, God, is so confident in his power and so convinced of their insignificance, they begged you know, they, they came, they said, you certainly are the Son of God. Power to calm the storms. And you know the neat thing for me is that Jesus who calms the storms, physical storms, is the same Jesus who can calm our spiritual storms. He meets us where we're at. In our loneliness, in our emptiness, in our depravity, in our sin. He's the only answer to the ache in our soul. All we need to do is understand, you know, we are the lost, the poor, and the needy. The song, the poor and the powerless, that's me. Oh yeah, that's a lot of other people, but that's you. 
And if we understand that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sins, we're all messed up. We all deserve to die. But Christ died for us in our place. That's mercy. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But he did. And all we do is respond in faith and say, Lord Jesus, I accept what he did on the cross. That's what communion's all about. That's what we remember what he did for us. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Yeah. Michael Jordan. Uh, that, I get an amen to that, okay? Now, some people would say it's LeBron. You know, okay. Michael Jordan is worthy of honor, but Michael Jordan is not worthy of worship. Clarence just did a funeral for Clarence. Clarence was 98 years old, served in World War II, landed in North Africa, worked his way up through Sicily and Italy, then on to the front in the European front in Germany. He was a special forces guy. They dropped uh, Clarence and his boys behind the lines to make way for the rest of the troops to come in. They do some nasty stuff. He was training a bunch of greenhorns for two and a half weeks, guys fresh out of college, fresh onto the battlefield, and they were supposed to charge this hill, 300 men to charge this hill because they wouldn't bomb it because it was a sacred place or a historical monument. Clarence led 300 green troops up the hill. Clarence and one other man survived. Clarence is worthy of our honor. Only Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Jesus Christ is the one who cares. He's the one who controls. He's the one who comforts. He's the one who champions. And get this, the one who calms the storm is the only one who conquers sin and death. He's the only one that calms the storm in your soul. You know, we're all, we're all sick, and we're self-medicating apart from Jesus. And no medicine satisfies like Jesus. And so you're here this morning. I want to know, have you experienced his cleansing? can only come from confessing your sin and turning from it and trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross as the payment for your sins. The Lord enables every skeptic. You know, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going to break some bread and drink some grape juice as a remembrance of what Christ did. Now, some of you are going, I don't, I don't know what that's all about. Well, it's about everything. It's about what a man did when he died on the cross to pay the price that you and I deserve to pay. You must accept his cleansing. His blood shed so that ours would not be, that we would not spend eternity in hell. So that we would believe, who believe would live. And believers, it just reminds us of the precious blood of Christ that paid the price that we deserve to pay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he's worthy of our worship. And the most magnificent demonstration of his worthiness is what we're going to remember here in a few moments is that he shed his blood and he broke his body so that we could be free from our sin, our selfishness, our corruption, our pettiness, from the emptiness of our soul, from our loneliness, and we could find life in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Let's just take a minute to prepare our hearts to come up and to take the bread and the cup. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us in this celebration and in this remembrance. Uh, you know, when Jesus, Jesus calmed the storm, and the only reason that Jesus can calm the seas of our life is because Jesus went into the storm of God's wrath on our behalf. All the punishment that we deserved fell on him at the cross so that we could experience peace. Um, let's, just, let's just praise him and thank him and remember him. Father, we thank you for Jesus, his body broken and his blood shed for us so that we can have peace. Thank you that you see us in our trials and in our difficulties. What a wonderful Savior Jesus is, it's in his name.